0: I was talking with my wife the other day and told her that, you know, I'd be starting off this series of of witness and worship and told her, I said, you know, I'm I'm counting this as a blessing because there's confidence then from Pastor Aaron and Pastor Chris that uh, they know I can bring the wit while they handle the nests and the worship. So thank you, brothers, for uh, your confidence in me and handling that part, uh, getting this thing kicked off. Uh, But as we get started, uh, as I was was looking at and thinking about this passage and what's going on in the context of what with Mary, I got to uh, thinking about just natural responses to things. And I've never been one to take a lot of pictures until I had children. And now, whereas before children, I had maybe eight pictures on my phone, uh, and I can go back and show you, it's probably even less than that. Pre-children, no pictures. Uh, But since then, I have thousands. And from time to time, I'll go back and look at these pictures, look at videos, and kind of see some things. And we have some videos of our kids when they're little of us getting them to do certain things. You know, there's an appropriate reaction. They're little, they're starting to express themselves. And so, hey, show us happy. And so they smile real big. Show us sad and they frown. And show us angry, show us scared, this, that, and the other. And so they have these appropriate reactions you know we would be a little bit frightened and worried if we said show us happy and they reached up and punched us in the face we'd be you know we'd be a little concerned about that but what we get to see when we look back on this is those cute responses the the way that they are supposed to react in those situations and what we have this morning as we look at Mary's song is the appropriate response to a situation is the proper reaction to what was going on in her life and so to To put this in context, I want to back up just briefly by a couple of verses. I want to look at what happened leading up to Mary proclaiming this song. And so if we look at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And then we go immediately into verse 46 where it says, and Mary said. And that's where we get this song that Mary is proclaiming, is that this is her response to the blessing that Elizabeth was putting out there. And this statement that Elizabeth was putting forth. Elizabeth was excited because she understood what was going on. It says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. So she had a knowledge that Mary was going to bear the Savior. And so when her child leaped with joy in her own womb, just at the sound of Mary's voice, she couldn't contain her excitement. And then the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she exclaimed this blessing. And so Mary, in her response, what we see is that she does not put the emphasis, if we look at the song as a whole, she does not put the emphasis back upon herself or back upon the blessing that she is receiving, but in turn, she takes that emphasis and that blessing and she puts it back where it belongs. She puts that worship upon the Lord. and so as we look at this this morning, you know I, oftentimes whenever whenever I preach or uh, whenever I teach in, in classes and things, I put the cart before the horse. I go ahead and tell you where we're going, okay, and so with that. Where we're going on this and where we're going to end up is that we're going to look at Mary's praise and we want to see how we should emulate the praise that she puts forth. How we use this as a model for the worship that we give to our Lord. And then as we do that, we're going to see a few specific things that she does within this where she points out, one, that she is magnifying the Lord. So we're going to see, here are three points, that God is magnified, we're going to see where she points out that God is mighty, and we're going to see where she is talking about that God is merciful. So we're going to see God is magnified, God is mighty, and God is merciful. And this is what we want to emulate and what we want to model in our own worship and in our own witness as we move forward. And so just diving right in, immediately, verse 46, as Mary starts off her song, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So God is magnified in the worship that she is putting forth. This is not lip service. You know, This is not just a grandiose, let me make these statements so that Elizabeth can hear what I'm saying, so that others that are around can hear and see that, oh, I'm putting forth this, this concept and this idea of praise. But this is praise and adoration that has been welling up within her that she cannot contain anymore. It's got to come out. And so when she talks about magnifying the Lord here, as I was reading about this, just uh, again putting it into context, there are some people that look at this and they, they see that word magnifies, that my soul magnifies the Lord. And they, they put it on Mary that she is trying to elevate the Lord even higher. All right, so in a sense of saying we're going to take God from, in Mary's eyes, from number nine up to number 10, like just elevating him even greater and even higher. That's not at all what she's saying. Right? This is not about increasing God's greatness because he is already the greatest of them all. We cannot increase his greatness. And she's not increasing his greatness in her eyes, but instead, what she's putting across is that her soul and her inner being has been so saturated with a sense of His presence and by a sense of His mercy that from the deepest part of her being, all she can do is exalt Him. When this statement is being made and this exclamation by Elizabeth, all that Mary can do is just respond back with praise to the Lord. That is the relationship and the connection that she has with Him and the understanding that she has of who God is. And so then she continues on. She says, and my spirit rejoices in my God. And so here she's not making a distinction between soul and spirit. She's saying the same thing in a different way for emphasis. You know, it'd be like if I told you, hey, we won the game, we had seven, they had four. I'm saying the same thing. I'm just saying it in two different ways. It's the emphasis. So she is emphasizing the praise that she's putting forth. And so she continues on then within this part of her, her song and she says he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And so as she's received these words from Elizabeth you know where Elizabeth says things uh, for instance going back up blessed is she who believes so blessed is the person you know and, and so as Elizabeth is making these statements Mary is saying look it, I'm blessed because the Lord looked upon my humble estate. This is not anything that I did. This is not anything that I deserved. This is all because of how great our God is. And we are going to rejoice in that. And so, as I think about her just immediate reaction, immediate response to this, you know, I. One of the things that I love about children, and if you see me looking down, it's so that I don't trip over these things um, because I move around a bit, but I got to be careful. Uh, So, but one of the things that I love about having children is as I've gotten older, I found that it's more difficult for me to kind of let loose and just kind of have that childlike excitement about things in my life. Uh, But when I look at my kids they still have that uninhibited excitement about the things in their life that they love. And so, for instance, a few weeks ago, I was able to take our little boy Byron to school. And he's got to be there by a certain time, and I was early. And so we're pulling in, and as we're pulling into the school, there is just a line of school buses. And that is his absolute favorite thing in the world outside of his mother. Uh, he absolutely loves school buses. And so as we pull in, he's looking over, he's, going, he's looking out the window going, bus, 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 and just cannot contain it. And he does this because one of his favorite songs is Wheels on the Bus. And so he's doing the wheels. And so we're pulling in, and just everyone that goes by, he just can't contain it. Bus, bus, bus. And so I can't drop him off quite yet. So I, I find a parking spot, and I thought, okay. I'm getting excited about his excitement, so I'm going to milk this a little bit more. So rather than pulling in, I backed into a parking spot so that he could continue to watch. And and his eyes the whole time, he was just sitting there just staring at him, just looking at him. And then anytime they'd move, he'd go, bus, 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 just watching them watching go. And just that pure excitement, that joy that he had over the thing that he loves, he couldn't help but let it out. It's got to come out. And that's how I imagine what's going on with Mary here the joy the passion the love that she has for the Lord it just welled up within her and came out in this moment where she had to magnify the Lord she could not divert any attention onto herself she had to turn it and make sure that those that she was with understood this was not about her sure this was a blessing and she would rejoice in that but this was not going to be the birth of our savior was not about the mother the birth of the savior is about the one who is coming and so she wanted to make that clear in this song and so when we talk about the lord do we well up with this kind of excitement does the praise that we offer the lord the exaltation the magnification of the lord in our lives does it make him great Or do we praise Him and magnify Him in a way that we also try to elevate ourselves? Let us follow Mary's example here to where she made herself low and she made God great. We magnify Him. We put Him in a position where He deserves and only He belongs. And that is as the Almighty One. So we see where Mary has magnified the Lord. So then we continue on, and in verse 48, halfway through, she begins to talk about God's might. And so we're going to see that not only is God magnified, but that God is mighty. So halfway through verse 48, she says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. So again, She's taking the attention, and she's, she's acknowledging what is being said and what is going to be said. But she's taking that attention off of herself, and she's turning it back onto the Lord. And in doing so, she's proclaiming about his attributes. She says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And then she closes out that sentence with, and holy is his name. So she's putting the praise back on the one whom it belongs. And so here's the cool thing with this, is that the one who recognized her, the one who calls Mary and gives her this blessing of, that no one else can claim of being the mother of the Savior, the one who did this is the Almighty One. He is not making her Almighty, but He is the Almighty One. And she is proclaiming that, He who is mighty. And so what we want to recognize and what we want to take away from this is that he is the one who possesses all power on heaven and earth. He's the one that can create the universe with merely the sound of his voice. The power of his command is unmatched by anything else. And as I think about the power that he has, his might, and that he is almighty, I think about our culture and I think about language that's often used. And some of the things that, that I'll hear people say sometimes when they're referring uh, to our heavenly father, but then uh, also I'll hear other people use this type of language who are talking about false idols. And that is they'll say things like, well, I worship a higher power. Or, you know, well, you know, I know that there's a force out there that's greater than myself. You know, you've, you've likely heard terminology and phrasings and things like this. Here's the problem with this type of language is what that does is it depersonalizes a relationship with the Lord. You know, if we think about as a parent or even as a child, if my kids talked about me simply as a force greater than themselves, that's, that's creating a disconnect in my relationship with them. I am more than a force in their lives. I'm their father, right? I'm their dad. There's more to that relationship than just simply this greater person, greater thing in their lives. And so it's that same concept, that same idea with our heavenly father. He is more than just some eternal force that is out there with this vague power. He is our heavenly father. He is our He is the one who created everything, and then He sent His Son in a perfect way to live a perfect life, to die a death that He did not deserve, and to be raised to new life, to establish that relationship with us, to create that opportunity for us to have eternity with Him. So here's the problem with depersonalizing a relationship with somebody is that removes a lack of accountability. If my children don't view me as dad and as father and as one that has a relationship with them, then what do they care if they offend me? It takes away that, that grief and that connection and that accountability in the relationship. If we don't have that, con, that personal relationship with the Lord. If we don't have an understanding of salvation, if we're not spending time in the Word and in prayer and getting to know our Heavenly Father, then when we sin against Him, that godly grief is not there that Scripture tells us about, because that accountability is not there. And so, we need to establish that personal relationship with Him. We need to grow in that connection with Him and that He is more than just an almighty force, but He is the almighty God. He is the almighty Father that we can come to. And so in this song, Mary is proclaiming that God is not simply a power. She is proclaiming that He has all the power. And that he is the God, and this is how she phrases it here, he is the God, the mighty one, who has done great things for her. She's referencing that relationship. She's talking about that connection that she has with him. She sees the personal component of the almighty God. And that, yes, he is the God of the universe, and he has all the power, but He's also the God of Mary. And that He has seen her. And He has connected with her in that way. So then she continues on. And I'm going to skip, skip down a little bit because I kind of want to stay within the context of, of the points that we're talking about. We see where she's referencing that personal mightiness of God. But then in verse 51 We see where she takes that personal mightiness and that personal relationship and connection and she broadens it and broadens the scope of his might. She says, starting in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And so again, Mary's focus here is on the might of God, His power. And what she's referencing here and what we see is that she says He's shown His strength with His arm. She's giving this imagery that He is not just strong from afar and almighty from afar, but that He has used His arm. We see the strength in His arm. And so there is that connection to mankind, that connection to his people. And so then she describes this even further. She says, He scatters the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He brought down the mighty from their thrones. And then she ends this with, And the rich he has sent away empty. And so she's painting this picture of what God is able to do and that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is the one who is able to topple any earthly kingdom. But then she also paints a picture on the opposite side within this part, and she says, And he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And we see in scripture where we're told that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this is right in fitting with the character of God and who he is. And she's proclaiming these things. And so as we look at this, you know, there are so many times, uh, and especially in the last few years, I would say I've been privy to a lot of conversations where people have been worrying about the everyday problems from our earthly governments. And the problem with that is whenever I hear these conversations, what I often hear from people is, a lack of eternal hope. I hear a hope in an earthly government. I hear a hope in a president. I hear a hope in a government, a hope in an earthly ruler. But that is not where our hope lies. And what we have to remember and what we are called to do as believers is to bear witness to the fact that our hope is not in this earth, but our hope is beyond And so we need to remember who is actually running things, who is in control and who is in charge, and who is sovereign above all. Who is the one that raises those up and who is the one that topples those down? And that is the Lord God Himself. And this time of year, what we celebrate is the coming of the one whose government will reign forever, and that is that of Jesus Christ. And so, Mary, in this context and in this point, she uses some terminology that she already used within her song. You know, when she started off with in in magnifying the Lord, she said, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And then again in verse 52, she uses similar words. She says, And he has exalted those of humble estate. And so, Mary is looking at her own situation. She's viewing herself as a simple handmaiden of the Lord. And if we think about the context of what's going on in her life, she is betrothed to be married to Joseph. But now she's with child. Joseph would have been within every right to have quietly done away with the marriage and moved on. Or loudly done away with the marriage and moved on. There was plenty of opportunity for Mary to be embarrassed and to have all kinds of issues going on culturally in her life in that moment. But yet, she trusted in the Lord because she knew His character. She knew Him and she trusted Him. You know, something that, that's kind of popped up a lot recently that I've seen some videos on is uh, there's, there's people that, that call themselves mentalists. Okay, And so what these people are trying to kind of put across, if I were to, I guess, probably roughly paraphrase it, is they're trying to make people think that they're mind readers and that they know exactly what everybody's thinking all the time, this, that, and the other. But the reality is, uh, I, I watched a video of one of them the other day where he was he was talking with about a group of about three or four people, and he was getting them to do certain things. And as they were doing that, he'd say, all right, reach in this bag, pull out a marble. All right, just do it. Just grab a marble. Just get one. Just do it. Just do it. All right? And then there was, uh, you know, I want you to pick a number between one and 100. Just pick one. Just do it. Just get a number. Just do it. Just do it. But everything that he did, he kept using that phrase, just do it, over and over and over again. And he was using it in a normal context to where you may not have necessarily picked up on it, but then... In the end, kind of the culmination of everything that he was doing was he had somebody pick a company out of a list of, you know, 50 to 100, and the company that they ended up picking was Nike because he had been controlling the situation, and everything that he did, you know, using phrases like, just do it, which is Nike's slogan, everything that he did was leading to controlling what choice they would make. And I use this illustration and talk about this because... Whether we're aware of it or not, whether we are mentally engaged in it, we need to remember and know that our sovereign God is even more in control. He has a perfect plan. Whether we can see in the throes of it what is happening, it doesn't matter. We can trust and know that He is controlling it all, that He is in charge. You know, I could stand here and tell you story after story of times, whether it be in my life and my personal experience or those that I, that I know and, and am close to of times of despair, times where it was difficult to see the Lord's greater plan. But the thing that takes you through those moments is looking back on and reflecting on the promises that God has made and his fulfillment of those promises. Because he is perfect in every way and he is in control in every way. And there is nothing that happens outside of his command. And so as we think about that and as we dwell on that, we lean on that, we see where, where Mary is acknowledging that and she's resting in his sovereignty. And then she closes out this, this little part in talking about God's might in verse 53. And I, I want to talk briefly about this in this concept that, where she says, the rich he has sent away empty. And if you look through the New Testament especially, there's several references to the rich and how things will be taken from them. But the re- the reason for this and the issue that's going on here is that it's not just monetarily rich. It's really this idea of a self-sufficient rich. And what's happening within the hearts of those that are self-sufficient is they have that Pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. I don't have a need for anybody else. I can meet every need that I have. I do not need to be dependent upon anybody. And so with that mindset, they do not see their need for a Savior. They don't see that they are unable to earn salvation. They do not see that there is, in this world and in this life, nothing that they can do in order to meet the standard that God has set. They believe that they can do it all on their own because they haven't had to be dependent upon anything. You know, these are the rich that would, would sell their people, sell slaves, sell off other people, throw them under the bus for something else for themselves. It's that selfish and that self-sufficient mindset. But what we see in Scripture is that God gives grace to the poor. He gives grace to the humble. And he takes away from the self-sufficient rich because, as Scripture tells us, it is the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away. And so when we're self-reliant and we don't depend upon the Lord, we do not see that need for the Savior. And the call for us is to not be self-sufficient, to not depend upon ourselves, but to depend upon him, to let go of our own strength and depend upon his might. Uh... You know, and thinking about that, it 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 takes me back to whenever I was in elementary. All right, so we used to play a game in PE that is no longer allowed at schools, Um, and uh, so we get on the monkey bars and we play a game called chicken. So. I was I was pretty good at chicken, okay? So if you don't know if you're not familiar with the concept of this game, you got one kid on one side of the monkey bars, one kid on another. They they're holding on, they get close to each other, and then you just pick your feet up and you kick the fire out of the other person until they fall to the ground, okay? So I don't know how we didn't have way more injuries than we did, but this was this was the game and it was I was I was pretty good at it, okay? And so one year, we, we decided at the end of the school year, we're going to have this tournament. We made this bracket. We're going to have this championship going on. And so uh, we, we had it span over about three weeks of PE, you know, and we had this figured out. And so it came down to the end of it. Uh, I, I was in the championship. Uh, like I said, I was pretty good. I'm going to brag on myself a little, all right? And so, But it was me against this other kid named Russell. All right, so we get out there. Now, those of you that have never played, there's, there's a strategy that you can use if you're shorter than somebody else or if you just don't think that you have the ability to, to loosen their grip with your feet, where you can get in close to them and you can wrap your legs around their stomach and apply all your weight onto them so that they'll let go. So anyway, we, Russell and I come in. We start kicking. Well, he got in close enough. He got his legs wrapped around me. And I, I, I thought I was done for. It was like, I've seen him apply this strategy, this technique. Like he's made it to the championship using this thing. There's nothing I can do. And so I mean, I'm wiggling around, writhing, trying to do anything that I can to get this done. And then it just dawns on me. All right. So I'm in elementary. I'm not like a physics master at that point, but I, I do understand a little bit about forces and applying extra force and and things. And so I thought, okay. Here we go. This is what I got to do. So I take my hands off the bars. I put them on the inside right here. I'm like, I'm just, I'm gonna pull myself up as high as I can, and I'm gonna push down, and I'm gonna lean forward because if you hit the ground first, you lost. All right. And so that's what I'm thinking is, I just got to make Russell hit the ground first. Doesn't matter if I hit the ground too. Doesn't matter if I break a rib. If he hits the ground first, I've got this championship in the bag. And so I pull myself up as high as I can, I push down, I lean forward, I pull my feet up, and and he he can't hold, his grip cannot withstand the force of myself and him. He lets go, I land on top of him, boom, chicken champion right here. All right? So uh, that's, that's a crown that I, I still wear proudly to this day. But I tell that story and I think about this because in order to secure that victory, in order to win, I had to take a risk. I had to let go. I had to release the thing that was keeping me in the game. And in that same sense, so many times we fail to trust the Lord because we're gripping on so tightly to our own control. But when we let go, He is faithful. And He has promised us that He will care for us. And He will be there. Now the outcome, I'm not, please don't get me wrong, I'm not standing here telling you that when we do that, the outcome is always going to be earthly favorable. However, eternally it will. There will be a sense of peace that as Scripture tells us surpasses all understanding when we place our full trust in Him and depend upon His strength Because He is the one who is able to bear not only our burden, not only my burden, but the burden of all. And so we can trust Him in that. We trust in His might. So we've seen where Mary has magnified God, that He is magnified. We've seen that God is mighty. And then she also proclaims and shows us that God is merciful. And so we're going to to skip back up to verse 50. She makes this statement. She says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so, as we think about this, first we want to make sure that we have a proper understanding of what mercy is. This is a phrase that's often thrown around. And so I just want to make sure that we understand and we know. And so as we talk about mercy this morning, the way that we want to define this is that mercy is when you show compassion on someone when it is well within your power to give punishment. So you're showing compassion when it is well within your power to give punishment. We've already seen where Mary has proclaimed the almighty power of God. And we know that we are sinners. We know that we are imperfect and that we have not met the standard that he has set. And so it is well within his power to give out discipline, to give out punishment. But yet she's proclaiming that he has shown compassion, that he is merciful. She says that he is merciful for those who fear him from generation to generation. So as he calls his people into his kingdom and his people respond with repentance and with a healthy fear of who he is. He is merciful. He shows compassion and he forgives. And she says that he does this from generation to generation. And so how else could we exist in the presence of the Holy One except for through his mercy? There is no other way. So then she continues on if you skip ahead to verse 54. She continues talking about mercy and she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And so what's going on here is she's acknowledging the fact that there has been a massive time span from the end of the Old Testament to the occurrences of what is happening now as God has revealed himself To her and spoken to her through an angel and to others, and the coming of his son. She's acknowledging this gap of time. And if we think about that for ourselves, oftentimes our tendency is that we are only as strong in our faith as our remembrance of our latest blessing. And so she's acknowledging that within the people of Israel that there is. Some strength in their faith that is beginning to wane and has been waning over generations because of a lack of a remembrance of the mercy that the Lord has done. But she's saying, He has not forgotten. She's proclaiming, We cannot forget the promises that He made because He does not forget. He is faithful to remember and He is faithful to fulfill His promises. Remember his promises. He is coming. She's crying out to them to get those to remember the blessings and the promises that he has laid forth. And this is one way that we differ from the Lord, right? We forget. We know how to forget. It doesn't matter how many great things I could do for somebody, <clears throat> my children, uh, one bad thing, one mess up, or one wrong situation, and all of that is forgotten, and it's just about that one negative thing, right? We're flawed. We forget. But the Lord is not flawed. The Lord remembers, and the Lord is faithful. And so we can rest in that just as Mary is resting in His might, she's also resting in His mercy. So, the call is for us to remember what he has given us, remember the mercy that he has shown to us, remember the work that he did through the sending of his son here, remember the grace that we have received because of him. And again, Mary is pointing the attention back to the one who is deserving of it. So, as Mary proclaimed, we know that God is all powerful, we know he is mighty, we know he has the power. But we know that through that power, he has shown compassion. He has given mercy to his people. And so what do we take away from this? What do we learn as we reflect on Mary's song? Well, we've seen where Mary has magnified the Lord. How are we magnifying the Lord? How do we cry out? How do we exalt his name in the world in which we live and in the lives that we go about living? Is it limited to a Sunday morning worship service? Or is it a witness that is born by us in our daily living? The call is for it to be the latter. We've seen where Mary has proclaimed the might of God and that He is mighty. Are we trusting in His sovereignty? Or are we trying to hold on to our own strength? We've seen where she's proclaimed His mercy and acknowledge that characteristic of the compassion that he has shown on us. Are we trusting in his mercy and in the grace that he has given? Or again, are we dependent upon ourselves to fix our situations and being self reliant? You know, I asked Pastor Dave to uh, do a particular song, and uh, so he's going to close with that here in just a moment. Uh, and, and that song is titled His Mercy Is More. And I thought this song was so fitting with Mary's song and what she is proclaiming about our Lord. And as we've looked at the lyrics of her song, I want to pull out just a couple of things from this song that we're about to sing. And uh, in in the second verse, we're going to sing collectively together here about some characteristics of our Lord. But in the same verse, we're also going to sing... About ourselves. And so I want to read this to you. So the second verse starts off with, it says, what patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So I want to unpack that very briefly. And it starts off with what patience would wait. And so we're seeing, we're proclaiming, we're singing about the patience of our heavenly father. And then continues on, it says, what father? And so we're acknowledging that he is our father. So tender, he's tender and he's calling us home. So he's calling out to us and in calling us, he then welcomes us. So this is what we are acknowledging about him as we sing this together here in a moment. But then Think about who we're singing that he welcomes. We're saying that he welcomes the weakest. We're acknowledging our weakness, our need for him and his strength because we are weak and he is strong. He welcomes the vilest, right? Those that are undeserving, those that are in sin, whereas he is pure. He is welcoming us. He welcomes the poor, whereas he is rich and he is royal. And then that last line, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. We are sinful. We need to know that about ourselves. We need to know that we cannot bear the burden of our sin on our own. You know, oftentimes as as I think about the lyrics of this song and I think about God's mercy, it leads me to thinking about the overwhelming burdens that fall on people. You know, one of the things that, that I do within my job at the school is that I'm able to sit down and to have conversations with students about where they are in their lives, where they're going, about their behavior, or, you know, in certain situations about behavior that's led them to coming into my office. Uh, but as I think about these burdens and about the things that, that they're going through, I think about everything that's being piled upon them. And so just as an illustration, I just want you to take for a moment and just think about the chair that you're sitting in. Right now, that chair is bearing your weight. But if we were to pull one of those chairs from the choir up here and set it right here, and I were to just bring you up one at a time and set one person in the chair, and then take somebody else and put them also in the same chair, so now we have two people, and then three, and then four, and then five, at some point, the burden of all of the weight of those people is going to cause that chair to buckle it's going to cause it to fall under. It cannot bear that entire burden. It's not the single burden of the final person that we put on the chair, but it is the collective burden of it all. And so when it comes to our sin, it is not a single moment in time. It is not a single flaw. It is all of our flaws. It is all of the affronts that I have made to my Heavenly Father that He is bearing the burden of. If I try to bear all of those on my own, I will buckle under that pressure. There is no way that I can bear that burden. Here's the beautiful thing about our Heavenly Father, and Mary phrases it this way for us in a purposeful mindset. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He is able to bear not only my burden, not only my sin, but the sin of everyone in this room, the sin of generations from the beginning of time to the end of time because of His mightiness, because of His power. He can bear that. And He calls us to come and to lay that upon Him. And so as we sing this song, Our sins, they are many. My sins are many. Generation to generation, the sins are many. But no matter how many they are, His mercy will always be more. And we rejoice in that. And then we're going to close out that song with a verse that says, What riches of kindness He has lavished on us. And then we're going to sing the gospel with one another through this that His blood was the payment and His life was the cost as we stood neath a debt that we could never afford. I don't care how good of a person you may be. I was not a terrible kid. Even to this day, I would say, overall, I'm I'm probably a pretty good person. But I'm still a sinner. And there is no amount of good or right that I can do to cover up that fact or to make up for that. And that is where I praise our Heavenly Father for the gift that He has given and the mercy that He has shown. And so as we sing the gospel together, we sing about the blood that was shed for our debt. If you do not know Him as Lord and Savior, if you do not have that relationship with Him, my prayer for you is that this morning, you would come and have a conversation with one of the pastors or with somebody that you came with. We are here and we are ready to have those gospel conversations with you. If you do know the Lord as Savior and you are walking with Him, my prayer for you this morning is that through Mary's song that we would have been encouraged on how to go about magnifying the Lord and glorifying Him and acknowledging His might and His mercy in our daily lives and being a witness in the way in which we worship in our daily lives, and that this season would be a season of magnifying the name of the Lord and not magnifying the earthly things that we have around us. So join me now as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thankful for this picture that you have given us of worship. We're thankful for Mary and the song that she proclaimed out to you and Father, that she has pointed us in your direction. We pray as we sing this morning, and we proclaim that your mercy is more than any of our sins. We pray that we would rejoice in that, that we would let go of our own burdens, and the desire to hold on to those things, and the desire to try to control them, and that we would release them to you. We pray for this time of year, as we have the opportunities to go and to share the Christmas story with those around us. We have the opportunity to share the gospel and to talk about the coming of your son and the perfect life that he lived and the death that he died in our place and that you raised him to new life, defeating death, so that we could enjoy eternal life with you. I pray that you would help us to take advantage of opportunities that you have put before us to share your gospel truths. So, Father, we love you and we magnify your name above all else. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.